0: Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Will there be baseball in twenty twenty? Perhaps this feels the most demoralizing of of any moment I remember in these negotiations. So this is perhaps the least optimistic people are about a baseball season in twenty twenty. I'm Frank Close, joined by Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody, and and guys, how are you feeling about this right now, Jeff?
1: What's baseball? i i it's a foreign concept i've never heard of um i'm not feeling great about it and to be honest with you i've started to get it kind of and i don't know if it's good or not started to kind of get used to life without baseball and i imagine that's what happened to a lot of people that left after 1994 that'll never be me fully but there's just so much going on in the world right now that baseball has not taken uh foremost upon my mind, and i have if I had to go the rest of the summer without it, it would suck, but I think I would manage. You could always use a break from something, but I don't want to get to that point.
2: Yeah, I don't want to get to it either. I'm a little fired up today. I'm I'm, I'm actually in the middle of some Twitter wars right now with some people coming at me because, you know, I'm I'm not 100% on the player side and I'm not 100% on the owner side either. I just think this is such a mess that nobody gets a free pass. Everyone involved is a disgrace in my opinion. You got Andrew McCutcheon putting up videos about juice and water and all that crap. Stop. I mean, that's part of the issue in my opinion as well. I, I hate it all. I hate every single side of this conversation that we're having once again i mean literally it's all we talk about and uh, deservingly so it's the topic that matters but it's bothering me that we have to do this all the time i'd rather uh, most i would rather talk about hector naris blowing a save and having that argument with you any day of the week (laughs) well it's funny
0: you know jeff you mentioned 1994 you know Uh, uh, someone else so so my friend who's, who's 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 i guess a yankees fan on twitter and i'm a cat cat uh, she had posted on Twitter like she, she's a little younger than I, and she had said, "Hey, who was around for 1994? What was it like?" And and my my explanation was that a lot of my peers growing up, I'm 38 now, lost interest in baseball. Like I went through high school, nobody cared. I went through college, nobody cared. And then it took really the Phillies having a really good team beginning in the late 2000s for people to really get back on board now the thirty for 30 talked about the 98 home run chase that helped in a lot of markets but but Jeff what was your assessment of
1: that didn't did it wipe out baseball for a few years it hurt baseball and certainly you're right the 30 for 30 on McGuire and Sosa showed some some I think some exaggerated scenes of like completely empty ballparks it wasn't that bad but I mean you have to look at the 90s in sports uh, in totality, right? I mean, that baseball decided to have its labor issue in the middle of the Jordan uprising and the NBA coming into full storm and the NFL as well, starting its uprising. So that really, even though baseball has always been around, I feel like that contributed to baseball falling behind the NBA and football into where it is now, which is above hockey. But, you know, more of a regional sport than a national sport, whereas it used to be a national sport. And another work stoppage or whatever we have here, dispute uh, and the ugliness involved threatens to, I think it threatens to take away the casual fan and the casual fan, is a big part of a lot of sports, especially in the playoffs. That's the issue I have here is, you know, what saves baseball? Because there is no home
2: run chase. There is not going to be 70 homers. Everyone hits 50 these days. Pete Alonso. I mean, no one's watching the New York Mets to see Pete Alonso hit 50 homers like they were with McGuire and Sammy Sosa. So I just think that the one thing I thought of is, and it's so laughable, it's not even close, and it's not going to save baseball at all, but Maybe taking away the shift so there's more hits and more people using the field. Is that going to excite people more? Are you tuning in because they banned the shift? Absolutely not. That's the only thing I could possibly think of. So I don't know what saves the game, and that's the problem.
1: Not going to be universal DH? That's not going to just save the entire sport? I would think that hurts
2: it even more, no? It It might.
1: It might.
0: And the sad reality is there is nothing. I mean, certainly there's, they're not going to allow steroids for a few years just to just to increase some home runs. <laughs> hey, you run, never so. know.
2: I would not be surprised if that's something baseball does because they clearly don't know how to do a lot of things right. Hey, maybe if they're not <laughs>
0: playing, they're not getting drug tested. Maybe that's an opportunity to to get roided up before next season. I don't know. <laughs> maybe there'll be a, a home run change. Though no, I'm not advocating such a thing because, of course, steroids are illegal. But yeah, there could be some long standing ramifications of this dispute, but. Let's take a moment first and break down the latest. I don't even know what the right adjective is to describe what's going on right now, but perhaps our next guest can sort of help us with that. We have Scott Lauber of the Philadelphia Inquirer with us. Scott, how are you?
3: I'm doing well, guys. I have some words to describe it, but I don't think we could say them. Yes, this will air on radio. Podcast. No, we can say anything. <laughs> we can say anything, yeah. It's- <laughs> We just Leave have to show. beep
0: out Scott, or we'll have to beep out Scott like like Jeff last week, right? When he unleashed some words that were not radio friendly. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you're listening to us on 97.3 ESPN, uh, we may have edited this down some, just so you're aware. <laughs> but come to, our, come to our website and you can listen to the unedited version, uh, not suitable for work. We'll, we'll, we'll throw that mm. out there.
1: <laughs> we'll call <laughs> but, it the Mitch Williams version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Scott, how would you describe what's going on right now?
3: It's
1: a total mess.
3: Uh, it's a complete mess. Um, they've messed this up every which way they can. And now we're sitting here, you know, five days ago, the commissioner said, Hey, it's a hundred percent guaranteed. There'll be a season. You know, I have the authority to just declare a season. And, you know, last night he comes out on the same network that, um, on, on ESPN. And he says, I'm not so sure anymore. And so, you know, who knows? I, I've, written a story that is going to post online this afternoon and my, my read on it is that the, the, it's not as simple as him just saying, I declare a 50 game season because the union's already threatening a grievance and the league does not want that to happen. And the calendar weirdly is, you know, we focused on the calendar and we've said they're running out of time. They're running out of time. It's actually the opposite for a 50 game season. They have too much time. I think the way I looked at it, I counted backwards from September 27th, which is the day they'd like to end the regular season. If you count backwards, so you go, okay, like give them, give them like a few more days. Like let's say starting today, give them a few more days to work out the health and safety protocols. Then give them about a week to report to spring training. Then give them a three week spring training. You can still start the season around the week of July 20th. That gives them about 70 days until September 27th to play a 50 game season. If the if the union decides to file a grievance, how does the league explain how it it's the best efforts to, to create a season when they had 70 game 70 days and they played only 50 games? So Manfred's gotta almost run the clock out a little bit. He's gotta almost play like a four corners defense and and run some time down. And then in 10 days, he can throw his hands up in the air and go, all right we did the best we could, now we'll play a 50-game season. So when you think about it, what the players did last Saturday with Tony Clark coming out and saying, tell us when and where we'll be there, was actually a really a really shrewd move on their part because the league can't go ahead and do that
1: now. Well, isn't that the surest sign? What you just said, if you can just see it for what it is and how transparently it is, isn't that the surest sign that A, the owners would probably lose that grievance, and B, that means that the owners are the ones, and you can blame both sides, but the owners are the ones that are most acting in bad faith for this agreement.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they would be as worried about the grievance as it seems like they are, unless they thought they'd lose. And, um, you know, I, I also don't, as you said, Jeff, like, I don't discount the possibility that the owners had a conference call yesterday with Manfred and I don't discount the possibility that maybe um, eight owners raised their hands and said, you know, if it's 50 games or no games, we'll pick no games. And all it will take are eight owners because he needs 75% approval of the teams to go ahead with a 50 game or 54, whatever it is, game season. All it would take would be eight owners to say, now we'd rather not play at all. And, you know, he he said last night that the owners want to play, um, and he you know he works for the owners, and I suppose I suppose we can assume he speaks for them as well. But um, you know, I mean, you've got owners out there like like Tom Ricketts of the Cubs who says the losses this year will be biblical, and you've got Bill Dewitt from the Cardinals saying. It's unprofitable to own a team which boggles the mind when you think about how, how much they brought in in revenue last year and what the television contracts are worth and the new one that they just signed with Turner. Um, but you have owners out there who are, who are dropping hints that like this isn't, this doesn't sound great to them, and maybe there were enough owners on that call yesterday who said, "Yeah, you know, we'd really, really rather not do this, and now he's got to figure out how to spin that or save face.
2: A lot of people are focused on the right now, and I think at this point, the the ball is definitely in the owner's court, as you stated, but this process has been going on for months and months, so when you look at the player side over the last couple months, I mean, I have to put blame on them as well, because we shouldn't even be in this scenario to begin with.
3: Right, I mean, look, there are no winners here, you know, I mean, neither side comes out of this looking good or smelling like a rose, um, you know, and... I think, you know, I, I do get a little bit, um, I, I do get a little bit defend defensive about baseball when people say like, well, the NBA is going to figure it out, the NHL is going to figure it out, and because baseball is in a bit of a different a different area, like they didn't have any season whatsoever when when the shutdown happened, they were in the middle of spring training. You know, the NBA and the NHL have already played seventy five, eighty percent of their season. A lot of their revenues from their regular season are already in. Baseball was starting at zero, so they really did have to come up with an economic plan to get themselves through a pandemic-shortened season to get to the playoffs at the end of the rainbow where the big money is, and you know, they've just had a really hard time doing that. What's really interesting is if you go back to the agreement they made on March 26th, which we keep talking about, March 26th was supposed to be opening day, and that agreement was supposed to provide kind of like a framework or uh, um, at least a... uh, kind of a guideline for how the players would be paid during the shutdown. Well, if they hadn't made that agreement on March 26th, maybe this would be a whole lot easier to negotiate because, you know, the players think they have a deal for pro full prorated salaries that they don't, they don't want to reopen that deal and renegotiate that. And if that deal didn't exist, you know, maybe they'd be less inflexible than they are about 100% prorated per game salaries. Maybe they would be more open to taking, Supplemental reductions, but they say, "Hey, look, we have a deal. A deal's a deal. Why? Why are we going to play thirty percent of? Um, wh- why are we going to agree to thirty percent of our full season pay to play fifty percent of a season? You know, if you're going to pay us a third of our salaries, just let's play a third of the games. And you know, that's kind of where we are."
0: So, so I was looking at the the March twenty sixth agreement. So, the LA Times had some specific language, and under resumption of play. It says there are three criteria, no restrictions against fans attending games, no restrictions on travel through the United States and Canada, and third, no unreasonable health or safety risk to the players, staff, or fans. Now, one thing I found, in- I found I found interesting, yeah, you could say all three of them are <laughs> an issue right now, but I was surprised. I- this was the first time yesterday that I heard Major League Baseball actually bring up health. I had not heard them mention that, and, and there were reports that, uh, it sounded like that they were in agreement on some health and safety measures. Why do you think health is coming up from the side of Major League Baseball right now? Again, my
3: my read is that it's a way for them to run some time down, you know, to get a little closer to a point in the calendar where they could go. Well, uh, All we could do is 54 games. So that's what it's going to be. Um, I don't want to undersell it, though. Like health is a huge problem. So last week I, I was working on a lot of this um, labor stuff and and the financial aspect of it. And I I sort of going through some things and thinking like it's been almost a month since MLB put forth that sixty-seven page, what they called the a first draft of a health and safety manual. That was the one where, you know, they proposed some weird stuff like, you know, players can't shower at the ballpark and they have to they can't use the hotel workout room or, you know, some pretty austere, but I'm sure necessary measures to try to keep the virus contained. Um, and so I, I was like, well, it's been about a month, and we've been so focused on the financials that we really haven't talked more about the health and safety. And I was talking to a, a um, infectious disease doctor from Brigham, Women, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And he was we were talking about the spike in cases in places like Arizona and Florida and Texas, where there's a lot of baseball, and just those three states alone would have five teams, total of five teams, plus all the spring training sites. And we were talking about that and he said, yeah, the cases are going up there. And so if I'm baseball and I'm looking to restart spring training, I'm going to advise teams don't go to Arizona and Florida if you don't have to. And, you know, look, we might get to the end of all of this and the virus determines that there won't be a season because there can't be. And all of this talk about prorated salaries and all of that doesn't, doesn't really matter because the virus doesn't care about any of that. So that's a huge piece of this, and I, I, but I did think it was convenient yesterday that, you know, I think the Associated Press obtained a letter that stated that some players and some staff had tested positive, didn't say when they tested positive, but that they had. And so, yeah, now that's going to come back up again. And, you know, I do think that that's a way for for the league and a legitimate way for the league to say, all right. We can't just say fifty games starting now. Everyone go to spring training. We still have health and safety protocols to work through, and if that takes a week, if that takes ten days, then they're getting a little bit closer to, you know, the point in the calendar where they'll have to declare a season, and it'll look a little bit less like something that the players could grieve, um, and and recoup some money.
1: I want to get back to what you said about the revenue. Uh, And what the owners are saying and the idea that for some owners, we don't know, um, it might be a better idea in their heads to just not have baseball. And I'm struggling to reconcile that with what you said about the new TV contract, with the money that they were able to make next year, with the money they'll be able to make up in years to come for whatever they might quote unquote lose this year. Scott, can you tell me about this this group of 30 owners and is there something larger at stake in their minds than just baseball this year is it they're recognizing how the nba is kind of being quote unquote run by the players the strength of the players union in baseball are they i I hate to have this like stereotypical picture of a bunch of greedy old men counting like pennies yes yeah but that's really what their monocle
3: on their top hat
1: Right, and I'm not absolving the players for being greedy as well, but it seems like the billionaires are being way more penny-pinching here than the players. And for what reason?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I think it definitely comes off that way. Um, I I don't know. I I think, you know, I think like anything, you've got got a group of 30 owners who are probably in it for various reasons. Some truly love the game. Some uh, are in it for... Other reasons, um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how many hawkish owners there are who are saying what I was saying before. Like if it's going to be 50 games and look, if it's 50 games and it, Manfred imposes a 50 game schedule, the players have already said, well, then you don't get your expanded playoffs, at least not until we we have to collectively bargain that after next season. So the owners really want that because that's really where the money is. and you know maybe maybe there are hawkish owners who are saying if look if i don't have my expanded playoffs and it's going to be 50 games and i got to pay them their full salary you know their their per game salary for 50 games i'm not doing this like let's just cancel the season i don't think that's the majority i don't think it's close to the majority i think i think i'd like to think that a majority of the owners recognize the damage that would be done to the game long term if that were the if that were what, what was to happen here, really in essence, the game would go dark for 18 months because yeah, I know you had like four or five weeks of spring training there in February and March, but that's not, that's not real. Um, You know, it wasn't in all 30 cities and you know, it's not, that there would have been 18 months between the end of the world series in 2019 and spring training in 2021, where there would be no baseball for all intents and purposes. And and then this big, giant Armageddon looming at the end of 2021, where they're going to negotiate this new CBA, and I think a lot of us think a work stoppage is probably a fait accompli at this point, after 2021. So, you know, it's going to be hanging over next season, the whole entire year, like what's going to happen at the end of this year? Um, I think majority of the owners realize that that's not a good situation for baseball, that, you um, as as unsatisfying as 50 games would be this year, you'd still have 50 games, you'd still have a postseason. Um, you'd have people who would say it's illegitimate, you know, and they'd break out the asterisks and they'd say it doesn't count. But, you know, I I looked at it last, last week and I think it was, so I looked at the last five years and I took the first, I took every team's record from games one through 50 and I looked at what the standings would look like. And, You know, so if you take the 50 teams that made the playoffs over the last five years, it was something like 35 of them or something like that, 36 of them, that still would have made the playoffs. So that was a higher percentage than I thought. Like, I thought we were going to see some real weirdness there. Like, you're going to see some really bad teams that got off to a good start, and they'd be in the playoffs, and then they stunk the rest of the year. That really wasn't the case. I mean, the the Phillies actually were – maybe the the one that was the real outlier because both in 18 and 19, they would have made the playoffs after 50 games and they turned out to not be such great team. I mean, there were 500 teams. Um, But, you know, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I think from like the legitimacy standpoint, you're still going to have the bulk of the really good teams make the playoffs and some season would still be better than none. So I think they've got to figure out a way to get it done. Um, And then, you know, and then, and then try to sell it to... to, And, and they've missed a, a big opportunity. They could have come back on the 4th of July. They could have had most of July to themselves. Now they're going to come back, have to compete against the NBA and the NHL playoffs. And, oh, by the way, the NFL is going to be starting in training camps, maybe. So um, uh, they, they've missed... They, they've blown a lot of an opportunity here and they just have to salvage whatever they can.
2: Yeah, that's the big thing that I'm seeing is they pretty much just wasted a big opportunity. And it's concerning because when you look at... Um, this game moving forward in next season? Is this going to rub people the wrong way? So what saves the game? I mean, we just saw the documentary, the 30 for 30 with McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And the one idea that came into my mind was if you take away the shift, does that mean it will be less home run or strikeout? But then that also defeats the purpose because the home run was what got people going in the <laughs> 90s. So it makes no sense. There To me, I don't see something that will make baseball be saved. Like I don't know what you could do with the game that saves it after something so ugly.
3: I thought you were going to say bring back steroids.
2: Well, that's what was safe Joked around about it though. <laughs> yeah, I joked about that yeah, earlier. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen. Yeah, I'm not you know, against like it, hey, right? Maybe. bring them back.
3: <laughs> Peds It's good for the game after all. You know. No, I mean there's no there's no Cal Ripken and the and the streak right walking through that door. There's no McGuire and Sosa, um, mm. you know, juiced as they were walking through that door. So. So what is it? And, you know, I read, I, you know, it's funny. I read a great story yesterday about, you know, everyone talks about McGuire and Sosa in 98, the 98 Yankees might've been the best team we've ever seen. And they came along at that same time. You know, it, it, at least it was, I mean, the 98 Yankees in particular and the dynasty Yankees in general from 96 to 01 were a great team. So baseball had Cal Ripken, the, the home run summer of 98 and a dynasty, a true dynasty on their hands And that's what brought the game back. And, you know, my colleague, Bob Brookover wrote a column the other day saying how, how long it took, even with all of those things for attendance to get back to per game attendance, to get back to where it was uh, before the strike happened in 94. Uh, I guess in in 93, they were at a certain level and it took them until I forget the, I think he said, Oh three, he did the research before they came back at that level. So, and none of that stuff is, is going on here. And, baseball in general is not as popular as it was back then. Um, You know, I think it's really sort of, obviously it's really fallen behind the NFL and and probably the NBA as well. So, you know, yeah, there's been damage done here. I I don't think there's any question about it. I think, I I do think they can save face a little bit by um, figuring this out, having what amounts to a a third of a season, you know, and then, you know, there's still going to be a champion crowned at the end of it and, Uh, The stats are still going to mean something and you're still going to have, by and large, all the best players on the field. Um, The public has a way of forgiving, too. And if they have an exciting, I mean, there are ways to make a 50 game season exciting. You know, like a lot of people think the baseball season is just too long to begin with. So how about a sprint season where every single game matters? You know, it's like I wouldn't say it's like the NFL where you play every Sunday and every game is huge. But the games would take on such more meaning because of how few of How, much, how many fewer games there are, um, there are ways to, to make a 50-game season interesting and exciting. And I think they could tap into that if they could just get themselves together and and make an agreement and, and get back on the field somehow.
2: I think Moshe is cringing, by the way, hearing you say that. He's so <laughs> against the 50 games. He can't do it. Oh, I don't like it. I'm not telling you I like
3: it. I'm just telling you that, like... There, there, are marketing wizards at MLB and 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 with the union whose job it is to is to figure out how to make this appealing. And there are ways to make it appealing. There really are. It's a, it's totally a one off. You know, like it would be a season unlike any other. And and there are ways to there are ways to do it to make it seem like it's exciting.
0: Now, Scott, I wanted to ask you specifically about the Phillies. I guess I have two questions. One, have you heard anything about the Philadelphia Phillies organization's take on all this? And I guess the second part would be, how do you see this 50-game season affecting the Phillies?
3: So to answer your first question, no. Uh, I think the last time we heard from anyone, uh, anyone with the Phillies in a formal way, other than Brian Barber, who just drafted four players last week and made made some availability to to the media, I think the last time we heard from Matt Klementak in a formal way was March. Uh, I think it was I think it was after the agreement got made, the March twenty sixth agreement. So it was probably around April second or something like that that we that we last heard from him in a public way. They've been very careful about not wanting to make public statements about this. It's a league matter. Um, I guess the one thing that, uh, that we have heard, um, we were able to obtain a copy of the letter that John Middleton sent to his employees. It's gotta be about three weeks ago now where he, um, where he put forth pay cuts for everyone who makes, I think it was 90,000 and above. And in that letter, he said, we're going to lose substantially more than a hundred million dollars this year. And, you know, other than that, um, We really haven't, we really haven't heard much. Um, you know, I don't think Middleton, you know, I guess I'm speculating here, but I don't think he is one of the owners who would be saying scrap the whole thing. Like just knowing him. Um, I think he wants to play a season. I think he's told his people that he's hopeful that there will be a season. And I think that's legitimate. So, um, you know, he's not, he's not denying that they're going to lose a lot of money. Um, it is worth noting that I think Forbes had their the Phillies revenue last year at three hundred and ninety five billion uh million dollars, so if they lost substantially more than a hundred million, you know it's it's not their it's not nearly what their full revenues would be over a full season, so they're going to lose a lot of money and they've taken some measures, but um no, we haven't heard anything directly from them. and what was the second part?
0: Yeah, how do you think this 50 game season might affect the Phillies as a, as a team?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I See, I think a 50-game season would um, would shine a light on depth, organizational depth, because I, I think that, uh, especially pitching depth, because it's not like you're going to come back right. and <laughs> – Right, like, and they don't have enough um, is what I'm getting at. Because I, I don't think you're going to come back and all of a sudden Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler are going to be throwing seven or eight innings a start. They're probably going to be throwing four or five innings a start at the beginning. So um, – you know, you're going to need, and you're going to have an expanded roster. So you're going to need 15, 16 pitchers right out of the gate. And um, I struggle to find 15, 16 names that I truly believe in uh, on their pitching staff. So I think that's going to be a challenge uh, for whatever it's worth. They have started hot or hotter. They, they, the first 50 games the last two years have not been their problem. It's been the last 60 so uh, we're playing sort of the portion of the season that they would, that they excelled at under Gabe Kapler. Um, maybe they get some energy from a new manager in a, in a short season. Uh, maybe that would have more of an impact than it would over a long, I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think depth is going to be important. I think uh, health is going to be even more important because if a guy gets hurt, it's not going to have the same amount of time to recover and get back on the field. Uh, so many variables. So I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know how to handicap it, but I'd be worried about their pitching. Uh,
1: Two quick things, Scott, one along those lines, I would think the hiring of Joe Girardi would really be helpful even more so this year than other years, because he kind of was a reputation as had a reputation with New York as being a very strategic thinker, as well as uh, someone who handled their pitch, his pitching staff and bullpen better than, than most managers. So you can uh, comment on that, but also I'm wondering when we finally get through all this business crap, um, is, do we have the same format, or, or if they're going to play, are they dividing the teams into different divisions again and limiting travel and everything? Do we even know what the schedule would look like as far as who you're playing and, and how many games?
3: Not for not, not entirely. I mean, I've heard the regional idea, you know, that they would play within the NL East and AL East in order to limit travel. Um, so you'd never see – there wouldn't be a West Coast trip. There wouldn't, you wouldn't see the central divisions, I don't think. Um, I, I don't know how it would break down. I don't know how many trips, I don't know how many NL East games you'd play versus AL East per se. Like, you know, for instance, um, I don't know how many trips you'd make into certain cities. Look, if it's a 50 game season, you only have 25 road games. It's not a whole lot, not a whole lot to do, um, there in terms of, uh, getting around. I, you know, I don't even know in a 50 game season, would they make them go to Florida? You know, or you know, you could probably get fifty games out of you know Mets, Yankees, um, Red Sox, Orioles, Nats, uh, and call it and call it a, a bus league. You know, for for in the Northeast for the season. So that's kind of what we're hearing, more along the lines of a regional schedule, AL least and at East, and uh, and go from there. And um, and yeah, you know, I, that's kind of what I was getting at with Girardi. I I you know he has a reputation of being a good uh, bullpen manager. Um, understanding how to deploy his relievers that, that of course is over a longer season though. Like one of the things that he, he trumpeted about himself. And I heard from a lot of pitchers who pitched for him is that, you know, he doesn't use guys on back to back to back days early in the season. Cause he realizes, you know, you can't do that in April and May if you want them to be available to you in August and September, You're not gonna have to worry about that now. So if you want to run, you know, Hector Neris out there, you know, um, uh, a little bit more often. I mean, what are you keeping them fresh for? You know, it's a 50 game season. So I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, you know, from a strategic standpoint, how, how all of that changes. Plus you have an expanded roster uh, to use. So um, how does he make use of that, you know, and a taxi squad. So we'll see, you know, could, could a guy like Spencer Howard be, be important to the Phillies this year? Absolutely, he could because now you are not worried anymore. It feels like ancient history that we were back in February. We were worried about his workload. Like, oh my God, he only threw ninety-nine innings last year. How is he going to be fresh in September? Hey, guess what? Like, he's not going to get anywhere near that now. So, roll him out there every fifth day, you know, and and let him make his eight or ten starts, and there you go. It's a good season for him. So, it's going to be there are going to be a lot of dynamics at play um, in terms of strategy and roster.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to throw a little curveball here at you and we're going to take approach to the, uh, to the cheating scandal that happened. Did the Astros escape? I mean, we were talking about one of the most historic cheating scandals in, in sports, in the history of sports. And I don't know if it will ever be talked about again. And I just picture maybe a year from now, if they go to the Bronx and there's fans in the building, does it hit the same way? I mean, it seems as if they truly escaped this, which is mind blowing.
3: They did. They did. I mean, I guess you could say they lost their manager and their general manager. So, and they got, they still got, you know, hit with draft pick, you know, issues and whatever. But like, yeah, for, certainly from a like, Public relations standpoint, it was bad, but it was bad for only a short amount of time. Now, you know, there's so much to yell and scream about, about baseball in general, that the Astros are like a footnote and they're not going to have to go everywhere. I mean, they're, they're going to play probably 25 to 27 road games, uh, maybe confined within, you know, the central part of the United States, you know, they'll, they'll play some games in Texas against the Rangers. A lot of Astros fans will go there. So like you said, they're not going to have to go to Yankee stadium and they're not going to have to go to Dodger stadium uh, for an interleague game against the Dodgers who they beat in the world series in 2017. And they're not going to have to go, you know, to places like that um, where they're going to face the the brunt of that. So um, yeah, I, I do. I think they got off easy. And, and if, and if you fast forward to next spring training, uh, if things are back to normal, which is still a huge if, um, people are going to be talking about you know this looming CBA negotiation, not not the ancient history of the the Astros and their cheating. So unless they find another way to do it and they get caught again,
0: yeah, I'd say they're
2: off the hook. You never know. Wouldn't
1: put it past
3: them.
2: Yeah, yep. <laughs> but now the Yankees are in the mix now for yeah. twenty seventeen. So. <laughs>
0: Well, Scott, thank you so much. It was so generous of you to 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 spend all this time with us. And everybody check out Scott Lauber's work at Inquirer.com and in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. This is Powder Blue, Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to Powder Blue. This is Frank Close along with Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody. And very generous of, of Scott Lauber to, to give us all that time and um, lots, lots to talk about from there. I, I will say Scott was pretty tuned in to, to everything that's been going on. Uh, nothing's gotten by him so far, it seems like, right? So so Jeff, what, what was the one takeaway from, from that interview that really sticks with you after, after that discussion?
1: Well, Scott really thinks there's going to be baseball this year, and I think um, that's obvious, right, because of that. Well, we all thought that was obvious days ago, because we felt that if negotiations continue to break down, you just go to to the default setup of 50 games and and full pro rata in that. But then we learned that all all of a sudden the owners were going to pull that off the table, and that threw everything into a kind of state of you know, WTF, what's going on here. And it has made some people think that there won't be baseball. Scott seems to think there will be baseball. I I think the biggest thing that stuck out, and, and it still is a question for me, is I would love to know... Among these 30 owners, if they are as solid as they appear or if there's a lot of discussions going on amongst them, I want to know more about this ownership committee group of 30 and how solid uh, they really are. Yeah, no,
2: that's interesting. The way that, you know, if if there's a lot of people within the owners that are kind of going head to head with each other, but the way that it's perceived is they're all standing together as one. It might not actually be that way, but I I was interested in hearing the the Philly side of things because we haven't heard anything about any anyone with the Phillies and, you know, John Middleton, I think a lot of people like John Middleton. I know the whole "hey, spend the stupid money" conversation is something that people want him to do because they need starting pitching and there were times where maybe he he told Cle- Hey, let's pull it back a little bit. Let's not spend all the stupid money. So, you know, but overall, I think everyone in the city understands that John Middleton is is a guy that wants to win. I mean, he's an owner that really does care about winning. He is passionate. But when it comes to this side of things, we haven't really heard much from John Middleton. I mean, he's part of them as well. So I just thought it was interesting to hear the Philly side because we haven't really heard much at all. Now, one
0: one big takeaway here was now Trevor Bauer. Okay, now oh, yeah. I wrote about this on the website. Uh, uh, he had really kind of thrown out there that this was just perhaps a some sort of stall tactic that that MLB was using because let's face it, there's we we got to the point where there was a a need for um, <laughs> to start. If it's <laughs> by the way, Scott did a great job actually counting up all the days and going right. back. But but Trevor Bauer says this on Twitter. He says, so Rob, meaning Rob Manfred, the commissioner, explained to us how you can be 100% sure there's going to be baseball, but not confident there will be baseball at the same time. What changed between those two statements? And he simply thinks is he doesn't want to start because 50 games – <laughs> would, would not account for 20 days so 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 what about that could, could could this just be some ruse hunter that's just gonna buy them i don't know two more weeks of time and then they could say
2: okay 50 games here we go i wouldn't put it past them i mean the owners are slimy and yeah they, they i would not put it past them at all whichever bauer though he, he's a very open guy he likes to just hey say what he thinks and you know, I don't know how much stock to put into what Trevor Bauer says just because he's an emotional guy. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there are times where he lets the emotions get the best of him. And is this one of those times? I don't know the answer, but I'm not going to discredit his mindset completely because, yeah, I do think the owners are slimy enough to go with that mindset and if you think about what rob manfred does he, he works for the owner so what he's doing is part of that side as well and and that's pretty obvious at this point so to answer your question yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that is what they're trying to accomplish
1: yeah and the way scott articulated it not just doing the math uh guys but the way he's kind of used the four corners basketball analogy or run down the clock uh football analogy, It's hard not to think that that's exactly what's going on when the commissioner of sports says, yes, one day we're going to have baseball. And then two days later, after the players say, you know what, we've tried everything we can. We put the ball in your court. We'll do your, 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 your way that you wanted. And then all of a sudden there's not going to be baseball according to Rob Manfred. And so. I agree with what Scott said. That was a really shrewd idea by the, the players. And I'm not sure that they that's like a, a negotiating ploy more so than that. let's just do it. And I think the owners revealed their true colors in that even that wasn't acceptable enough for them. My, my issue with players, like Hunter has said on Twitter, is that I don't really love seeing it all um, negotiated through social media. I understand you're upset. I understand the owners are upset. Um, owners aren't on social media, probably because they don't know how to use it. But the point is the players <laughs> don't really, you know, when Bryce Harper tweets to the, to the Eagles, hey, what's going on? And, you know, you got any jobs for me? It just doesn't look good right now for everybody who wants to have baseball here. But after talking, hearing Scott and just doing, you know, reading up again, I, I don't, I agree that everybody, every side is at fault here, but I don't know how at this point you can't tilt that arrow toward the owners. I, th- to me, they're the ones and what we've seen over the last two days, it's just show that there was never good faith on their part. Yeah, I think and right I now. The, you could say the players never put up great proposals, but when they finally waved the white flag and said, balls in your court owners, the owners all of a sudden pulled the table out, uh, the, the, the tablecloth off the table from
2: them. Yeah, that's where I'm at now. I'm saying like at, at this point where we are right now, yes, it's it's definitely on the owners. And what they just pulled was disgraceful, just like a lot of things they did. But if you look over the whole entire process of this i think it's on both sides completely but right now where we stand today it is definitely more on the owners because now they have the chance to make it work and we will see how it all goes from here
0: now one thing i'm curious about too is the idea that major league baseball all of a sudden is worried about health now i'll say this like my my teaching jobs you know the the universities the colleges they're, they're they're reopening like a lot of people are back to work Why can't Major League Baseball go back to work when so many
1: other people are? Well, I mean, that's hard to... I think it's hard to create the same environment that, say, your coworkers are at. Maybe they're in cubicles. Maybe they're separated by... It's easier to distance that way than, say, in a baseball locker room. Uh, And also, you're talking about people flying in from wherever they're at, trying to get into central locations... My big, One of my bigger health takeaways from that conversation was that, and I thought it was really prescient from what Scott said, is that all this stuff might go for naught, and I've been thinking about this with the NBA and the NFL too, if they try to have a season and they just can't because too many people catch COVID, which all of a sudden, all this crap that we've been talking about, the bickering and back and forth, is it's almost forgotten because there's no season because of the COVID crisis.
2: That's the worst case scenario for baseball. Oh, yeah. You go through this whole entire ugly process, and then, oh, yeah, by the way, we can't play anyway. Oh, that would just be, I mean, the worst. And with the way 2020 is heading, prepare for it, because guess what? It's probably going to happen. Yeah.
1: By the way, raise your hand if you think the Astros owner is one of those guys who really doesn't want a baseball season this year. <laughs> Jim Crane. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. I do want to touch on one thing, though, that he said. and he, he doesn't like the comparison between the NBA and NHL in this, which I totally understand because they're in different areas of their season. So it's it's absolutely fair with that. But in terms of just the way the, the union and the league work together in the NBA, I mean, that amazes me. You look at what Adam Silver does. What's the job of a Commissioner. It's to get booed, right? I mean, boo every time he steps up. You can't even do that with Adam Silver because what he does is actually magnificent. Now, you might do it because that's part of the business, but you don't actually mean it when it comes from Adam Silver. When there's a problem, he actually addresses the problem. He talks to CP3, Kyrie Irving, people who are involved. He talks to the union. It's just night and day with what you're seeing between the NBA and MLB from that situation, but. I get what he was going with in terms of where they're at in their schedules. That's a completely different discussion. I just like to look at the relationship in the union and owner side of things in other sports compared to this. And this is disgusting.
1: I think what complicates having that simpler, same kind of relationship in baseball, Hunter, is A, well, there's two things. One, the ownership group that I speak of, I think, is a lot different than the ownership group in the NBA as far as who they are, what their priorities are how they think you know you yeah, can call aggressive aggressive have a good example right right yeah but secondly the i and i'm not trying to take credit away from Adam Silver but i think he and his ownership group have no choice but to play nicer so to speak with the stars of their sport because the nba is a star driven sport people from every city will watch lebron james whether he plays for their team or not baseball is not a star driven sport and there's no obvious more more evidence of that is the fact that Mike Trout, nobody knows who he is and he's never on the in the playoffs, right? And he is the biggest star baseball has. And it's not like the owners are thinking right now, oh my God, we need to have Mike Trout playing baseball this year. It's just such a different thought process that they don't feel like they have to placate to the, the Trouts, the Verlanders, the Bryce Harpers of the world because it's just not the same you know it's not well, they a should take some sport. notes
2: because obviously the nba is doing something maybe. right even though it's a little bit more star driven <laughs> it is I yeah. I yeah i know i hate saying that the players run the asylum when it comes to uh other sports and sometimes that bothers me but sometimes it's good for the sport i mean it's obvious that you know what maybe they do take a step back and they play the nice card but guess what the nice card has clearly been working compared to whatever they've been doing over the last however many decades i don't disagree
0: all right. Well, one closing thought before we we head to our break. Does this come this has come together in two weeks? If it was a stall tactic for all this, uh, two weeks from today when we record this, are we going to be talking about the baseball season that's about to begin?
1: I hope. <laughs> I hope. Two weeks. <laughs> How much time did they uh, did Scott say they have to drain off the clock here to make this fifty games about, thing? About work? two weeks. Yeah, I think we're going to have baseball. Well.
0: We shall see. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the MLB draft. There was a draft in the middle of all this, believe it or not. But we'll, we'll talk about that as we wrap up in our next segment. This is Powder Blue, Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. And welcome back to the Powder Blue podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. I'll say this, guys. On Wednesday, everything seemed optimistic. There was an MLB draft. commissioner said there will be a 100% chance of a season. And... It's a short draft, but there was a draft. <laughs> so just to so quickly, I wanted to run down the, uh, that what the Phillies did during this draft in this, this final segment. So, uh, the big news, uh, the Phillies signed two play, two players that were of, of note first, Mick Abel a right-handed pitcher out of Jesuit high school out in Oregon, who, um, the Phillies think they have no problem signing. He had committed to the Oregon ducks and, uh, so they, they signed a pitcher in the first round from the, the high school level. Now, that's really the first time they they, they spent a traditional first-round pick on a high school pitcher. You have to go way back to Kyle Drabeck, who, of course, did not amount to anything, but got the Phillies Roy Halliday. So, um, so that was worth. Before that, of course, Cole Hamels was the other traditional first-round pick that the Phillies took. Uh, but another name that got a lot of attention was Casey Martin. He's a shortstop out of Arkansas. He did... Uh, not get drafted in the first round like originally a lot of people predicted he would. He kind of fell after an injury in a, in a tough season, but um, he's uh, he's somebody that the Phillies have a lot of high upside. But guess what? They had just four picks total in this entire draft. Well, let me ask you guys this first. It's a five round draft, even a
2: draft. I would say yes, right? I mean, like, yeah, it is because I think the draft is way too long to begin with. I'm curious if with all the whole minor league situation going down, is there a way to almost trim the minor leagues which would then trim the, um, you know, dr- trim the draft. I just think that there's way too many leagues, single A this, fall ball this, and all that. And if you trim it down, yeah, you have a less chance to hit on some of these prospects, but I think it would just be overall better for this sport. I, and and just to go back to something real quick when we were talking about uh, Able, these draft picks and the comps that they get on MLB Network, Justin Verlander and Strasburg. I, come on, you're going to sit here and sell me that this 18-year-old kid's Verlander? There, there were a couple that like. Porcello, and then I I found the one that I saw. Well, I'm only saying that because it's, like, realistic, I feel. You know, it's not too obnoxious. The name I couldn't think of when we were at the break was Flaherty. Oh, Jack Flaherty? Yes. Jack Flaherty. It's a reasonable name. That's all. Give me reasonable names. Don't throw me Cy Young Award guys or even guys that can't get it done in the World Series like Verlander. Took a shot at him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I mean, uh, let's face uh, it. How many people in the drafts actually become stars, right? I mean, like Scott Kingery gets drafted. Oh, he's the, he's a Chase Utley, you know, like, but of course he's not Chase Utley, but is he going to be a useful
1: player in the major leagues? He's, I want to
2: know what Mickey Moniac's comp was because I'm still waiting.
1: <laughs> I don't know why the Phillies are so infatuated with drafting players named Mick. <laughs> you got <laughs> Mickey Moniac. Now you got Mick Abel. Like, who's the next Mick that's going to come in it's and not like be anything Jaylen. like
2: Jalen Raiders, Jalen
1: Hurts, Jalen Mills. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Thank you. Good point. I'm just glad they took an arm, to be honest with you. I feel like, uh, well, I I don't know. I sound like a hypocrite because I've said the biggest, biggest indictment of the Clintac McVale regime is that they have failed to breed an arm. And that's what they came and said. You know, you buy the bats and you develop the arms. And there's not one single arm that you could say that they developed Mm -hmm. At all, so this is another chance to develop one Although their track record suggests it's not going to be good Because they haven't yet
2: I'm not against the 18-year-olds I just really am looking around the league And I know that there's some younger guys who have come in under the college years. I know Juan Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. in our own division are young studs, but I like the college vibe. I like going with some older guys who might not have to spend four years in the minors. Maybe they play one year in the minors, then they're up and ready. I'm I'm enjoying the college vibe with some of these players. Hazley's one of them and some of the other guys as well. So, you know, I'm not against 18-year-olds. I just think the game is starting to change a bit when it comes to these younger players, less time in the minors and college players give well, you a better chance at that. I feel
1: well, if, you the, get... if you're really real quick, if you really consider how much the game has changed, I feel like we should put more emphasis in how we talk about the team's international spending money than it's drafting. Mm. to be honest with you. No, you know that's I mean? very true. Absolutely, Who are they developing from, you know, uh, the, you know, the South American, Countries and maybe even Asian countries and um, you know obviously non non uh, USA countries because that's really where the game is going. And to me, that's actually more important of your franchise development than your draft.
0: And I will say this about the, the Phillies here. But oh by the way, I have your comp for Mickey Moniak, okay? I oh, found I found please. the MLB.com article when he was drafted first overall. Dave Magadin. <laughs> Todd Zalecki writes. You guys ready? I don't know. Moniac is most often compared to, drum roll, Christian Yelich.
1: Christian <laughs> Yelich. I would love
2: that. Are you kidding me? We could have had Christian Yelich. The then we wouldn't have even needed Mickey Moniak.
1: You sure <laughs> wasn't Jeffrey Leonard?
2: <laughs> I'm baffled. We're never going to see him. You guys do know that, right?
1: That would be, be something
0: if your first overall pick never makes the major leagues. Oh, it's, that would be Yeah, it, usually they be... make it
1: even if it's not merited.
0: Right. <laughs> Cause you have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, I totally, I totally lost my train of thought with that, but I, Oh, I know what I was going to say. I will say this. The Phillies were aggressive on signing free agents. The rule said, if, if you're undrafted, you can sign for 20 grand. Now they did. They did draft Jake McKenna out of Lotion city, high school, high school pitcher. I don't know. I, uh, not draft, excuse me, sign him, uh, the $20,000 bonus, but they took a lot of... Uh, they signed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight other players beyond McKenna, So they and they were all pitchers, nine pitchers the Phillies signed as free agents. So my guess is that's the way they're going to develop the arms, hopefully. And some of them stick. I mean, let's face it, these perhaps would have been drafted in round six through 13. I don't know if it was a normal draft or maybe, maybe even less than that because... There's some teams that, unexplicably. I'm looking at this list, the Pittsburgh Pirates, Tampa Bay Rays, uh, the um, Los Angeles Angels, which surprises me, Detroit Tigers, Cleveland Indians, Chicago White Sox, all signed no players after the draft. Interesting. That is interesting. Philly Sinai. They don't have to
1: pay any money when they don't know any money's coming in.
2: Oh, there you go. They have it. (laughs) That's actually not
1: surprising about the Angels because they're about the cheapest organization that there is. Hey, they got Mike Trout,
2: though. Best player of baseball. Yeah.
1: They spend a lot of money on proven talent, but then, you know, paying your own employees during a pandemic,
2: eh, we're we're not really in favor of that. Ridiculous. (laughs) I do want to end on a positive note, though, here. Oh, I like positive. Gene Segura cut out some alcohol. And he changed his diet. We got fourteen pounds down. Maybe that's a difference maker. Maybe we're a hustle, hustle to
1: first he lost, base. He lost fourteen pounds of whiskey. That's yep. great.
2: Fourteen <laughs> pounds of whiskey, and maybe we see him at third base making some plays down the down the uh, the foul line, hot there. corner there. Yeah, man. there's your positive. If I, if note I give of the up day.
0: alcohol, while I lose fourteen pounds. I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I drink that much, but
2: that's a lot of whiskey, huh? That's a lot of whiskey.
0: The Ooh. idea of losing fourteen pounds tap sounds good. Himself? yeah Yeah, but 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 all i have right now is alcohol (laughs) there's no baseball (laughs) on on that note let's let's call it a show uh many thanks to scott lauber for his time from the philadelphia inquirer check out his work at inquirer.com hopefully by next week we'll have some good news but until then frank close jeff mosher hunter brody this is the powder blue podcast